So in verse 1, we'll get right into it. Uh, this is Jesus speaking. And he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So st- we'll stop there, but I don't know about you guys. I, don't, um, I was glad to actually hear Joey say, I don't know what sheep eat. Because I was reading this passage and thinking, I am so uneducated on sheep and, and, and a pen and a shepherd. And, you know, I, the, I, I can't even tell you if I've been around a sheep pen in my life, if I'm honest with you. A couple of years ago, I was in Martha's Vineyard with my in-laws, and my mother-in-law was determined to see these, like, weird animals that apparently they only have on Martha's Vineyard. And so... They're kind of like a mix between a llama and a goat, I think. I don't know the name of them. Jessica, we were talking last night, I think they're called alpacas. They're just a weird little creature, and they're kept in something similar to a sheep pen. So that's probably the closest I've ever been to a sheep pen, if I'm honest with you. So I had to do a little bit of reading. I had to think about this. What does this look like? Why is, you know, what's Jesus really talking about when he uses this idea of a sheep pen. So the way that it would work, and some of you might know this, and this might just be second-hand knowledge to all of you except for me, but I'm going to say it for myself. So the way that a sheep pen would work is that, especially in Jesus' day, that multiple flocks would be kept in, in the sheep pen. And so because of that, there would be a gatekeeper, a gatekeeper there to kind of open the door and let in the certain, type, you know, certain flocks that should be in that pen specifically. And so the shepherd would, would lead the sheep in, and so everything was based on the identity of the shepherd, because the gatekeeper doesn't know the sheep. The gatekeeper can't look at the sheep and say, oh yeah, that's the right, you know, that's the right flock, but everything's based on the identity of the shepherd, and so the shepherd would lead them in. Well, in studying this, a really cool aspect of this, kind of the way this all worked, I thought, was the way in which, and Jesus even alludes to this. But the way in which the shepherd would actually get the sheep back out of the pen. He wouldn't actually need to go into the pen. He wouldn't wouldn't need to go in and, you know, maybe grab his sheep and herd them a certain way and pull those out, his flock. He wouldn't even need to do that. All he would need to do is stand at a distance from the pen and call to his sheep. And just by his very voice his flock would instinctively come out. His flock would instinctively flock to him. I thought that's incredible. Uh, and, 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 and when you think about it, that Jesus is using this metaphor specifically to describe his relationship to us, it's, it's amazing. Because think about that relationship. Think about the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. On one side, you have the shepherd that is so familiar with his sheep that he's actually named them. 
he, he knows them individually that he's actually named them. This is typically done by you know, something maybe physical on the sheep. He sees them, they have a funny face, they have a spot in a certain place. He names them by that, but he knows them individually. And he's given them an, a name. On the other side of that relationship, you have the sheep. That merely by hearing the voice of their shepherd, they come out of the pen. Just by hearing their, the voice of their shepherd, they walk out of the pen. They, they, they walk out of where they are safe into a place where they're not safe. All based on the voice of their shepherd. And Jesus even says this, that if they hear a voice that's not their shepherd, they immediately know not to go. So there is this incredible familiarity in this relationship that Jesus is now using as a metaphor to describe how he relates to us. That as he, the shepherd, relates to us, his sheep. This Friday, I, was, uh, I had the opportunity to uh, be home. I was working from home, but um, I had the opportunity. I was, I was babysitting our little guy as well. And so I, I, I picked up Isaiah, and I walked out in the front of our house and went to just check the mail. It was kind of our only time to be outside, unfortunately. And so uh, we checked the mail, and I was walking back into the house. And in the front of our house, we have this plant that's you know, just kind of a shrub or whatever. And I could tell that Isaiah had never, you know, we've been outside a number of times, but he had never noticed the plant. And he had definitely not gotten close enough to do anything with the plant, to touch it or anything like that. So we got close enough to the plant where I could feel him kind of get nervous. Like I could feel him, you know, I'm holding him in my arms, and I could feel him get, like, he tightened up and he stressed, you know, he got stressed and anxious there for a second. And he could, I could tell he wanted to reach, you know, he kind of extended his arm a little bit, but then he pulled it back and, and tightened up again. And so I just simply reached out and, you know, grabbed a leaf and grabbed a little berry and, and was showing him that, you know, you could touch it. And as soon as I did this, as soon as dad touched the leaf, then Isaiah was, you know, just grabbing. I mean, as soon as he touched it, he's pulling the leaf off. I mean, you know, I have to settle him down almost immediately. But I thought that it was incredible to see that at first he was, he was anxious. He, was, you know, he, he tightened up. He didn't know what the plant was about. And then dad touches it, and he's all right to go forward, and he's pulling the leaves off, and if I would have let him, he would have probably started eating them. And I thought it was really cool to see that relationship, that trust, that inherent trust that's there. And in the same way, the illustration, the metaphor that Jesus is using to describe him as shepherd and us as sheep has this same inherent trust and this same inherent familiarity about it. I think we see that in the first five verses here. Continuing on in verse 6, it says this, This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. 
If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is the door. We can't miss that. That is a huge statement about his identity here. He just says it. I mean, there's a simple sentence. I think it's verse 7. Jesus just straight up says, I am the door. I am the way. Says this further on in John 14. He goes much more elaborate at that point in speaking about his identity. But here he says, I am the door. He, Jesus, is the means of access. We can't miss that. We can't miss that from this text. That Jesus is not like the gatekeeper that we see that opens the door. He doesn't stand at the door and open it and allow people in. He is the very door. Without Jesus, without the door, we're looking at a wall between us and God. And you think about it. If you don't have a door in a wall, you don't get past that wall. But Jesus embodies the door. He is the very door himself. And unfortunately, we as humans are constantly trying to figure out a way around the door. That's our, that's our thing. That's, that's what the world sells us regularly. How do we find a way around the door? Specifically in our culture, in Boston culture, in Boston 2013, we are offered on a regular basis ways around the door. We see it every day. I don't know where you work, but I see it in my workplace. I see it all over the, all over the place. But people finding ways around the door because we don't want to go through Christ. But that's what he's saying here, is that he is the door, and we shouldn't miss that. You know, in doing some study on this again and learning a bit more about this relationship of sheep and shepherd and the way that it all worked itself out on a practical level, I came across a really cool description or a picture of the life of a shepherd and what that looked like at times. So in the summer, what would happen is that sheep wouldn't necessarily need to be brought back into uh, the fold, or they wouldn't be brought back into, say, the town or to where they are usually kept. They could be kept out because of the weather. They could be kept on a hillside. And so what would happen is they would be kept in these kind of makeshift pens that would be out on the hillside. But because these, these pens were kind of makeshift, they were uh, not as good as the, the regular ones, they would just be a, a simple wall, and then they actually wouldn't have a door. And so what would happen is that the shepherd would, would get his flock into this little pen, and then he, as a means of protection, he would actually lay himself at the door, at the opening of this pen. And so he would, for the, the, the night, he would sleep there. And because this pen didn't have a door, the, the shepherd actually became the physical door of the pen. The sheep couldn't get out and that nothing could get in. And so there was protection for the sheep. That's what the, the shepherd was willing to do for his flock. 
Jesus is saying that's what he is here for. That's what he's about. That's what he does for us. He's willing to lay his body down for us as a means of protection. As a means of protecting his sheep. In verse 9, Jesus uses this, I think, it's kind of this odd saying where he says that his sheep, that would have a life abundantly, that they would be able to go in and out and find pasture. I don't know about you, but that's kind of an odd, I, you know, I don't think in those terms a lot. So in uh, reading a little bit about it, I thought that, that that phrase was interesting. And it was actually kind of a Jewish way of, of perceiving peace. It was a Jewish way of thinking about a peaceful life. And, and think about it, it makes sense that if you can go in and out of wherever you might be, so take this for example, if we're, we're sitting in a building, if we can go out, we can just walk out the door and we, we don't have concerns for our safety, then, then that's a good thing. We have peace, we enjoy freedom. But if there's tanks rolling down Main Street, and we walk outside, and there's warfare on the street. We're not going outside. We're not walking outside anytime soon. You, you guys might. I'm staying in here because I don't know what's going on out there. And so Jesus is promising his sheep that they would have life abundantly, and that in this Jewish way of perceiving peace, they would be able to go in and out and find pasture. There would be freedom for them. Again, thinking about a sheep's life, sheep's one of the most vulnerable animals in the world. I mean, it's constantly afraid of everything. But what Jesus, as the good shepherd, was promising is that his sheep would have freedom and have life abundantly. Verse 12, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here, but it kind of makes sense if you think about it, that in comparison to a shepherd that has ownership of the sheep, if, if or I should say, a shepherd that actually owns the sheep versus a shepherd that's just simply a, a hired hand. It makes sense that the hired hand isn't going to sacrifice too much on behalf of those sheep. The first sign of trouble comes along, a wolf comes along, a robber comes along, a thief comes along. The hired hand is out. He just he flees because he has no ownership there. He doesn't care for the sheep in the way in which an owner would, a shepherd that actually owns those sheep. But Jesus is comparing himself against that and saying that he has ownership. As the good shepherd, he has named us by name. He knows us in that way, and he's willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice. We're going to talk about that here in just a a bit, so we'll keep reading. Verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, 
and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. So let's think about the context of where Jesus is talking or who he's talking to and when. The majority of his audience at this time was Jewish. And we've seen time and again throughout the Gospel of John, we've seen that the Jews had uh, an arrogance, to put it lightly, uh, about themselves. They had a pride in their place as God's chosen people. So God had chose them. There's, there's really, you know, it's hard to refute that in reading the Old Testament. So God had chosen them. But the idea behind God doing that was all along to bless other people. But what had happened is the Jews had actually gone on to make that about themselves. They had turned that in on themselves. They had forgot about uh, the plan, what God had intended by choosing them and making them his chosen people. Instead, they had turned it on themselves. They had made it about themselves. And they had ended up discriminating against everybody else. Doesn't that just speak to our human nature, unfortunately? Don't we see that all too often played out? A couple of years ago, I had the uh, really, really cool opportunity um, to, I shared in, in performing the ceremony, uh, marriage ceremony of one of my best friends uh, from seminary. So we went out to Wisconsin, he and his, uh, his wife's from there, and uh, because travel was involved and it was a long-distance uh, wedding, I hadn't got all of my clothes. I hadn't got, it was a pretty simple wedding, so all we were doing was, uh, I think, these pants that we had bought, and then a shirt, and then a vest. That was, you know, the whole setup. Well, I didn't get my vest. I, I was just like, yeah, just bring my vest with you, I'll, I'll pick it up in Wisconsin. Well... I get there, this is probably three hours before the ceremony, and I finally get my vest. Well, I had maybe gained, you know, five, maybe ten pounds in that season. Mitchell, don't look at me like that. I'd maybe gained about ten pounds. Yes, max was ten pounds at that season of life. So I put on the vest and it's one of those situations where, you know, the, the, this piece won't lay down flat, you know, because it's buttoned up in the middle. It's so tight that this flap is not really laying down. Looked like it was made for a five-year-old. And so this is like hours before the ceremony, and I'm flipping. I'm, I'm, I'm totally wigging out, and I'm trying to figure out what I, I can't walk up in this. I can't. The, the panel won't lay down Buttons are about, I mean, a button could pop off. And so I'm not going to walk up in this. So I had, I had totally lost sight in that moment of what this was all about. I'm making deals with groomsmen to, to switch vests. You know, they're like, dude, we've had ours for weeks. I'm not switching you. I was begging groomsmen to trade vests with me, totally losing sight of the situation that I had this amazing opportunity to be marrying one of my best friends. But that was the last thing on my mind at that moment. I'm trying to figure out, and, and fortunately, I, it was, I don't know how I did it. I was able to talk one of the groomsmen out of his vest and get a, a new one. But I had totally lost sight of, of what it was all about in that moment. Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience that had totally lost sight 
of what it was all about. And what he's saying in that moment is that what I'm here to accomplish, what I'm offering as the good shepherd, I'm offering it to everybody. I'm not offering it just to you guys. You need to, you need to, to in essence, you need to get right in your thinking because what I'm offering is going to be offered to the Gentiles as well as to the Jews. And so when he speaks of this one flock, or, or that ultimately it will be one flock, but that he has sheep of another fold, that's what he's speaking about. And he's speaking to a Jewish audience that he needs to get that through their mind. That this gospel of his, this sacrifice that he will ultimately give is open to all, not just the Jews. Verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. One commentator on this passage in, uh, that I read, he said that Jesus' words here in verse 17 ultimately demonstrate that Jesus viewed his life as one big act of obedience. That he, he knew what his life was about and that he so perfectly trusted in the intentions of his Father that even though he knew at the end of his life it meant death and persecution and torture, that he was willing to lay it down. We have to get that straight, that Jesus willingly laid down his life, as he says here. It wasn't taken from him. There's no way it could be taken from him. He says elsewhere in Scripture, I, I, I could call down legions of angels right now and this would all be done. He willingly gave his life. Willingly laid down his life <clears throat> as the good shepherd. And as I walked through this passage, as I thought about this passage, good shepherd doesn't go far enough. Good Shepherd doesn't communicate what we're really talking about here. We're talking about the perfect shepherd. Not the good shepherd, the perfect shepherd. Jesus was willing to lay down his very life for his sheep. You think about, again, the shepherd and the sheep, it... it, it, it even though a shepherd might be willing to lay down his life, it didn't make sense for him to lay down his life. He laid down his life, the sheep are vulnerable to attack. As soon as he's dead, it's just a, 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 a field day for the wolves or the, or the thieves or the robbers. But in this case, in this metaphor, in this reality of Jesus being the perfect shepherd, it made complete sense. Because what his death accomplished for us. In thinking about this metaphor, I took time to think about the two main characters in this. Jesus and us. So on one side you have Jesus and, and kind of the profiles of these two characters. So on one side you have Jesus. 
You think about what he is doing in this situation as the perfect shepherd. He goes out in front of his sheep to protect. He goes out willing to do whatever it takes to protect his sheep. He lays his, he lays his body down as a sacrifice for his sheep. He recognizes that without his sacrifice, his sheep are vulnerable to attack. That Satan could do whatever he wanted without the protection of Christ. On the other side, you have us. We have the opportunity, we're invited in to follow the perfect shepherd. To follow the perfect shepherd that is willing to do all of those things for us. That we get to go in and out. That we enjoy that sort of freedom. That we get to rest in the security of Christ's death and what it has accomplished on our behalf. That even though we might be sheep and we might be vulnerable, we're no longer vulnerable through Christ because of the protection that as the ultimate shepherd or the the perfect shepherd, he offers us.